Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for our webinar on economic substance solutions. I will pass you over to my colleague, Connie Wong. Thank you, Connie. Thank you, Ali, and hello and welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Connie Wong. I am the Executive Director of Waystone based in Singapore. Waystone has over 20 years of experience in providing governance and compliance solutions to asset managers. Today's webinar, we're going to cover Cayman Economic Substance, I'm very happy and delighted to have my colleagues, Niall and Dara, joining us this morning from our Cayman office. Niall is our executive director based in the Cayman Islands. He has up our Cayman Market Assess Solution, which provides host of management company and economic substance solutions to fund operators and sponsors. Dara is one of our independent directors. He works very closely with Niall in implementing our economic substance solutions and overseeing the risk reporting. Before turning to Niall and Dara, a quick housekeeping rules. There's a chatter box where you can send us comments and questions anytime during the webinar. We'll have some time toward the end to address some of the questions. So without further ado, Niall and Dara, I know you both have worked with a lot of managers in helping them satisfy in the ESTED. So would you share with us you know, your experience and some of the key areas that managers uh, need to take note of? Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Connie. Um, so I suppose what will be a good idea here is I'll, I'll quickly recap on what the core income generating activities are. Um, so this is what the the regulator looks for when, when with regard to satisfying the economic substance test. So briefly on screen, you'll see here the, the three main elements. So firstly, there's the decision-making, taking decisions on the holding and selling of investments, calculation of risk and reserves, uh, taking decisions on currency or interest fluctuations and hedging, or preparing returns, reports or returns or both to investors or SEMA. And it also looks for the entity to be directed and managed in the Cayman Islands, um, which is your provision of, of at least two independent directors uh, based in the Cayman Islands. So the majority and quorum of meetings are held in Cayman. And then ensure it has adequate operating uh, expenditure presence or personnel in the Cayman Islands. So most managers haven't relocated to Cayman, um, so they look for an outsource solution of which Waystone can help with. So we've received a number of questions and inquiries from clients with recent announcement of partnerships being brought into scope for economic substance. From the 30th of June 2021, partnerships are considered relevant entities under the ES Act and must file an annual notification. The good news is that funds remain out of scope of the ES Act, and as such, funds which are structured using a partnership structure will remain out of scope. The ES notification is a relatively straightforward return and is typically filed by the registered office at the beginning of each year. Um, regulatory fines, that, that's, that's always very topical. Most fund managers are now in their second year of operating under the ES Act. The fines for non-compliance remain the same at 10,000 CI in year one and 100,000 in year two. While the fine is relatively small in the first year, it greatly increases in year two. Subsequent non-compliance can lead to the authority seizing control of the entity and its assets. There are also reputational risks to consider, such as due diligence. Potential investors may see this as a red flag and prevent investment. The next question I'm always asked is how many fines have been issued so far? And the answer is I'm not sure, and perhaps none. Uh, most investment managers were brought into scope for the first time in 2020, and the first deadline for the 2020 period is not due to 12 months after the period end. Many IMs have likely not filed the returns yet. 
um, linked to the regulatory fines. Uh, something that is that is quite topical at the moment is SEMA or the AML inspections. Um, as of February, the Cayman Islands has been greylisted by the Financial Action Task Force, citing weaknesses in the island's AML or CFT regime, particularly in the areas of fines and enforcement actions. As a result, the regulator is conducting a huge number of inspections. Financial services companies are being inspected, with fines being issued to uh, a number of large companies on the islands, one totaling five million US dollars, or just over five million. Uh, there's another one in court at the moment, which is being disputed, but that's rumored to be over double that, so around 10 million. For investment management entities, there's no difference. There are currently 80 active inspections and fines, depending on the severity of the breach, will definitely be issued. Historically, SEMA would conduct an inspection, issue their findings and return in six to 12 months to review the remediation of items. With the grey listing, we don't know if this will still be the case when they're eager to be removed from the grey list and show the FATF that they, have a, that they are a strict regulator. The fines can also add up the issue fines for each occurrence of a breach if, for example, you had KYC on file that was not certified in a suitable manner for SEMA, they could issue a fine for each client which was not properly certified. At this point in time, I'm not aware of any inspections on the underlying funds. And this is typically a lower risk area, given independent administrators are appointed who have global policies and standards in place. IM entities would be viewed as self-administered with policies vary, varying from firm to firm. SEMA has also issued their findings that internal appointments for the AML officers would likely be cons- likely be conflicted and not independent. Um, one item that, that is, is quite topical as well, we've received a number of queries from clients either the annual returns and how they are to be completed. So I'll, I'll break it down into the two returns. So one is the economic substance notification. And this is relatively straightforward. Your registered office would have reached out at the beginning of the year. There's some static data and a confirmation if you were carrying out a relevant activity. And this is a precursor to the actual return. Once the ES notification is filed, noting the entity in scope, the DITC, which is the Department of International Tax Compliance um, Authority here in Cayman, expects they expect to receive the annual return. So the second return is the, the annual return. Um, it's a very detailed return, which is filed on the, the DITC portal. Um, and that's the same portal where FATCA and CRS returns are filed, which some of you may be familiar with. The authority looks for a wide range of information on the activities, such as number of staff or outsourced services, hours spent on an annual basis, evidence of timesheets, operational expenditure incurred in Cayman, operational expenditure incurred outside of Cayman, and a copy of the investment manager's financial accounts. With regard to the operational expenditure, one of the metrics they will use to gauge compliance is comparing your operational expenditure to your peers. Um, I also mentioned the, the annual financial accounts. Um, this These typically won't be your audited, audited financial statements. So there's no requirement to have them audited, um, but it will be your income statement and your balance sheet for the period. Um, I'll, I'll turn it over to my colleague, Dara, who is going to give a, a quick overview of what the, the Waystone solution is. Thanks, Niall. Um, so at Waystone, we offer a comprehensive range of services that allow relevant activities to conduct one or more relevant activities in a way that 
is compliant with the Economic Substance Act that Niall mentioned. Um, our economic substance solution has been designed to mirror that of the core income generating activities, or as it's frequently referred to as SEGA. So these are being directed and managed in the Cayman Islands by the provision of independent directors, the majority of which will be based in the Cayman Islands on a full-time basis. Uh, the second is independent risk reporting, which we produce in line with AFMD standards and deliver in line with the frequency of NAV calculation, i.e. if the client is delivering it on a monthly or quarterly basis as applicable. Um, the risk reporting typically looks at value at risk or VAR, uh, stress tests, concentration limits, liquidity, leverage, and any offering document restrictions which have been imposed. The third and fourth elements of SEGA are grouped together as FX hedging, be it at a portfolio or share class level, and portfolio management and ongoing oversight as the fourth element. We work with advisors and conduct periodic meetings with the advisor, coupled with the detailed risk reporting to ensure the portfolio is being managed to its stated objectives and agreed terms. Lastly, our service offering also includes the preparation, completion and filing of the annual economic substance return with the Cayman Department of International Tax Cooperation and the provision of dedicated personnel and resources in our Cayman Islands office. Yeah, Dara, I think that's a very comprehensive, you know, walkthrough of um, our solutions to managers who might be looking for, uh, you know, in satisfying some of the yes requirement. And I do have some very interesting questions coming in. And I think perhaps I can um, uh, pick a few. One of that, uh, which they are asking, I know, Niall, you also mentioned earlier, um, under the topic of the regulatory fines, we don't know exactly the amounts or whether if the regulator has um, um, imposed that fine. This question is kind of uh, irrelevant to that. That this, they are asking um, how many stable or investment entities have closed since the implementation of ES law? Yeah, good question. Uh, I don't have the full number. So uh, the, the regulator here releases statistics uh, on an annual basis. I know a number of the smaller entities have closed. So it's really each each manager would have had to do a, a cost analysis to see if it was worthwhile maintaining the entity. If you had assets around 5, 10, 15, 20 million dollars, the tax benefit that you would receive on having a Cayman investment manager um, would not would not be worth it. So the cost compliance would outweigh the benefits. Um, once managers get you know to 50, 60 million AUM plus, well then there's definitely uh, a benefit to maintaining the investment manager. Uh, but I don't have the exact figures of, of, of the number of entities that have, have terminated um, or restructured, but there certainly has been a number of the smaller ones which have closed. Thank you, Niall. And I do agree with you, you know, when, when the managers, when they're looking to whether to restructure, there's of course some of the benefits they can um, enjoy and uh, having a cost benefit analysis is very important and uh, to look into the viability of having the um, different structure in place. And of course, you know, the flexibility, uh, which maybe potentially the Cayman manager can offer to um, some of the internal consideration manager uh, 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 thinking. 
the next question I have here is I also often being asked is um, this manager is asking, I have a Cayman based director. Will this uh, enough to satisfy the ES test? Um, yeah, so there's a requirement for each civil entity to have at least two directors. Um, what we see is they look for the majority and quorum of directors to be in Cayman. So if you have one director based in, in Hong Kong and one director based in Cayman, well, then the director in Cayman, it's not sufficient to, to call a quorum for the meeting and the majority of the directors aren't in Cayman. Um, so the typical composition is having two Cayman-based directors um, and one onshore director. And depending on the on the jurisdiction, the, they may not wish to have an onshore director for tax purposes. Um, so it's typically two, two Cayman-based directors. Okay, thank you, Niall. And I know you earlier, you, you also give, give us a, uh, as a recap of, of the SIGA, uh, which I, I know it kind of also expand in addition to the board of directors that we have to engage or appointed uh, in Cayman. Were there any other components you would suggest here to managers in order to helping them to satisfy yes as in additional in addition to appoint the director? Yeah, so it, it varies from structure and strategy, let's say. Um, if you're a private equity fund or a fund of fund or venture capital fund, the directors alone will be quite involved in the investment approval and decision-making on an ongoing basis. If you look at an equity long short that's that's more actively managed and traded, it's a little bit different. Um, so they, the additional items and core income generating activities are what Dara touched on also. So the the ongoing portfolio management element uh, and the risk reporting element where we look at the VAR stress testing, et cetera. And we look at that on an ongoing basis. Um, and then, yeah, if, if it's a private equity structure, you know, where there's only going to be 10 or 12 transactions during the life of the, 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 life of the, the fund, um, directors alone can satisfy the, the core income generating activities. This is very helpful to know, you know, if, uh, uh, that they, if the managers themselves, they should look into the type of strategies they're deploying or employing to determine, you know, to what extent the economic substance requirement they, they are subject to. So that, that's good to know. And I, I have the last two questions. I think I, I would uh, pick that too, given that it's a quite an interesting one. Um, the second last question I have here is, uh, this manager is asking, I have heard a physical office is required to satisfy the ES test. Um, is that true? Uh, no, no, that's not true. Uh, so there's there's two options or there's two solutions. Uh, one is you know the physical relocation and having premises in Cayman, and I am aware of of, of a couple of managers who have moved um, with the physical office presence in Cayman, but there is not a requirement to do so. You can also use the, an OSP. Um, that's the abbreviated term, or it's outsource service provider. Um, so you can use an outsource service provider in Cayman to discharge the core income generating activities on your behalf. Okay, good, good to know. Thank you. And uh, the last question I have, and uh, uh, I think I have been also getting uh, the same questions from a lot of managers in Asia. Um, so this question, the manager is asking, I have heard of using a BVI-based manager to a Cayman fund. Uh, can you provide some further details of this? 
So now if you can share with us, you know, I, I know you have been working with a lot of managers around the globe um, across different type of structure and also strategies. So if you can share with us uh, your um, uh, insight on, on this one, that will be uh, good for the audience today. Yeah, good question, Connie. Uh, I am aware of a number of uh, managers who, who who had looked at restructuring and using BVI as a jurisdiction. Um, I think a BVI typically didn't have the same infrastructure from a fund perspective uh, historically. Um, having said that, though, um, BVI is has about half a million companies um, incorporated versus about 120,000 companies in Cayman. Um, typically, those companies in, in BVI would be for property or single assets, um, and it is quite efficient to as a, as a simple structure. Um, historically, for investment managers, BVI wasn't a very, um, a very common jurisdiction. Um, I serve as a director on a number of BVI uh, funds, and they were historical funds, let's say. Um, a lot of the times, from a structuring perspective, while BVI is known for companies, it's not as popular for investment funds and investment managers. Uh, a lot of the times people ask, well, why BVI for your fund? Investors aren't as familiar with BVI. Um, so I think in the instance that, you, that the question that you had here is, you know, having a Cayman fund and a BVI-based investment manager, I think some have moved and there is certainly a benefit um, or some people see it as a benefit in that they have, a, I think it's a $400 million. So if you're managing less than $400 million, well, then the economic substance test does not uh, apply. Uh, one thing to, to consider there is it may be cheaper um, not to comply with the economic substance test, but you'll have to pay a number of fees to restructure and redomicile. Uh, many clients may not be happy with the use of a BVI, or some investors may not be happy with the use of a BVI um, as the investment manager, given it's less regulated and less, less well-known than Cayman. Um, and then also, I think the economic substance law was, was as a result of pressure from the OECD in Europe most of or each country that, that has wrote into law um, has implemented it slightly differently. Um, so I think Cayman and uh, the Channel Islands, etc., had a similar uh, a similar viewpoint with the implementation and the drafting of it into law. Uh, BVI has taken, let's say, a slightly reduced uh, a, a reduced test. Um, so it may be that after entities restructure that. We've seen, you know, in one, one and a half years when the first returns are applied, well, then uh, the OECD may not be happy with with the, the implementation by the BVI. Um, so that's also uh, an item which may lead uh, further tightening of restrictions in BVI to mirror that of Cayman uh, or the Channel Islands, et cetera, in the future. So it, I think it's, it's a bit of a wait and see with BVI. They haven't implemented the, the economic substance law as other countries have. So it, you could run the risk of redomiciling uh, only to have to uh, redomicile back to Cayman in, in, you know, in a year or so and then pay twice the fees uh, for restructuring. So I think it's a bit of a wait and see uh, on, on BVI as a jurisdiction. 
And that's good to know, you know, some of the um, considerations that a manager need to put in place when they decide the type of entity they wanted to uh, set up. Um, so that's good. And, and maybe uh, just to wrap it up, and, and the last question from me is um, on, on the annual return, it can be either to Dara and, and I'll, uh, either of you, if you can um, remind us again, uh, but what is the upcoming deadline for the year's return and the, to what period that, um, that the return is covering? I think a lot of the managers got confused with the day, so it'd be good to have a reminder here just to uh, before we wrap up this uh, session. Yeah, certainly. Um, so most managers, the first year they would have been in scope. Uh, if the entity was in existence for a number of years, the first year they would have been in scope would have been 2020. And assuming uh, 31st of December, year end, they have within 12 months to file the return. So the, the, the detailed return will be filed by the end of December this year. So the, the 2020 financial year will be filed before the end of 2021. Okay. Thank you, Niall. And, and I guess uh, just, just to recap, you know, um, that, that uh, now and Dara, they have, uh, each of them have shared uh, uh, give us an overview of uh, the each of the SIGA components and what, what are the topical um, each what are the topical items that uh, we came across often and of course Dara has shared a full uh, solutions that Waysome can offer and I know we, we have uh, other questions we didn't get a chance to address uh, this morning uh, but we will reach out as as usual uh, to each of you to address those questions individually and also sharing this uh, webinar recording and, and presentation slides to all of you. And thank you, Niall, and also Dara for your evening time joining us. I know it's the evening your time, so it's really appreciated uh, for, for your sharing and also uh, input. And I, I wish the rest of you guys uh, who dialing uh, this morning uh, have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Connie.